simply God, this is the time when we quiet our hearts and our minds to pay attention, to really pay attention, to what you have to say to us today. Fill us with your word and give us understanding by your Holy Spirit, that having heard your word, we may live lives worthy of you and please you in every way. Amen. Our first reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 9 through 14. The Lord your God will help you succeed in everything you do, in your own fertility, your livestock's offspring, and your land's produce. Everything will be great, because the Lord will once again enjoy doing good things for you, just as he enjoyed doing them for your ancestors. And because you will be obeying the Lord of your God's voice, keeping his commandments and his regulations that are written in this instruction scroll, and because you will have returned to the Lord your God with all your heart and all your being. This commandment that I'm giving you right now is definitely not too difficult for you. It isn't unreachable. It isn't up in heaven somewhere so that you have to ask, who will go up for us to heaven and get it for us that we can hear it and do it? Nor is it across the ocean somewhere that you have to ask, who will cross the ocean for us and get it for us, that we can hear it and do it? Not at all. The word is very close to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, waiting for you to do it. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be to God. Before I read our gospel reading notes that uh, the prayer of the day as printed in your bulletin is wrong, that's, uh, that's for next week. Uh, so if you want to you know, sneak preview on you know, what I might be preaching about next week, you can read the prayer of the day. Or when I get to that point, you can just listen uh, for the one that is actually for today. Uh, our gospel is from Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Listen for God's word to you today. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. So he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan, who was on the journey, came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, 
he took out two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. So what do you think? Which of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered the thieves? Then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. God of bandit places, love that demands our all, reveal to us our wounds and give us grace to know our neighbor tending us with foreign hands through Jesus Christ who crossed over for us. Amen. Who is my neighbor? Such a simple question. And if I were to ask you what is the meaning of this parable we call the Good Samaritan in a single sentence, I bet that we'd all more or less conclude the same thing. If I gave you all a little sheet of paper and said in one sentence, write down what this parable means, I bet we'd all come to some sense of help other people when given the opportunity to do so. Be merciful to others, love your neighbor as yourself, something to this effect, yes? And and I think, am, am I missing anything? Do any of you have anything else to summarize this story as, or does that pretty much sum it up? Yeah, that's it, and I think that's the problem. <laughs> we, we, we know what this parable means, and we think it's, this, it's a simple moral lesson, right? Just go be merciful, as if it's that simple. End of sermon, right? Of course not. See, that which is simple is often the hardest to both understand and do. And so to see with new eyes the context of this parable is important. We should remember it doesn't come in a vacuum, but it comes in response to a question from a legal expert who said, Teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? That word gain can just as easily be translated inherit. And so this question tells us something about where this legal expert is coming from. He thinks eternal life is something that we can gain, something we can inherit by that which we do. So Jesus, just tell me the right answer of what I need to do and I'll do it. But it's not that simple. Because eternal life is not something that can be gained or inherited. Nor is it something that begins when our life ends, as the parable goes on to demonstrate, right? Whatever Jesus means by eternal life, it has to do with right here and right now. And so, this man is off base from the beginning. Eternal life is a gift that we receive from God, and gifts, by definition, cannot be earned. This guy doesn't understand grace. See, grace means that life itself is a gift from God, one that we neither earn nor choose, but instead are invited to receive with gratitude. And to misunderstand this is to misunderstand everything. And so Jesus engages with this man in a Socratic dialogue, right? Answering his question with another question. Well, what is written in the law? The guy says, this is great, I know this. I have the two greatest commandments, love God and love other people. And Jesus goes, that's exactly right. Well done. 
star next to your name. Just go do that and you'll live. The story could end here. Probably should. But then he, you know, he, he wants to prove that he's right. <laughs> he, he wants to justify himself. And he's not alone. Right, we all want to justify ourselves. To prove that we're good enough, that we are worthy, that we deserve the accolades of God and our fellow humans. So some of us spend our lives trying to prove that we are right, that we are okay, that we deserve to be here. But this is a fool's errand. Like, like life itself, justification is a gift from God, one that cannot be earned. Grace means that we don't need to prove ourselves right. We don't need to justify ourselves to God or to anyone else. And trying to do so actually causes harm. It causes harm to ourselves and other people. Another word for that harm? Sin. When we try to earn what God gives us freely, it only creates suffering. It makes us anxious, insecure, arrogant people. And God wants us to be peaceful, secure, humble. That's what this story is about. How do we become those types of people? And so a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and encounters bandits who rob him, beat him, leave him for dead. Priest walks by, sees him, crosses over to the other side, leaves him. Levite comes down the same road, sees him, crosses over to the other side, leaves him. And of course, these are the people who should know better, right? These are spiritual leaders in Israel. The people we should be able to look to as examples of God's love, and yet they fail. And then comes the third. Jesus, the master storyteller, knows the, the rule of three. And so we can expect this third one to succeed where the others fail. And so when the most specific person, the priest, is the first one, a little less specific is a Levite, we'd expect the third one to be what? A Jew. That's what the parable should be called, as we expect it to be, the good Jew. The normal person, just like this legal expert who knows their Bible, who knows what the right thing is to do, but instead Jesus pulls the rug out on the third and says, actually it was a Samaritan. Yeah. See, Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other very much. And that may strike us as odd because they had so much in common. And Samaritans are the descendants of the northern tribes of Israel. Jews are the descendants of the southern tribes. Uh, they worshipped the same God. They had squabbles over different biblical questions and, and customs. But to us, like, you guys are just siblings. What's, what's the fuss? Why, are, why all the animosity? And I think the best answer to that question is, like, look at your own family. Right, what's caused the most, well, I don't know, animosity, struggle, hurt in your life? Is it some stranger on the street, or is it the people who are close to you? See, Jesus tells us a story that goes right to the heart of our family wounds and invites us to experience love there. So we should ask ourselves, what makes the Samaritan different? In the final speech of his life on April 3rd, nineteen. 69, just hours before he was assassinated, Dr. King spoke about this parable. 
And he rightly noted that the road between Jerusalem and Jericho was a well-known dangerous road. From high elevation to low elevation, the road was curvy, and there were often robbers and bandits on the road. In fact, at the time, it was described as the way of blood. And so King suggests that upon seeing the beaten man, the priest and the Levite ask themselves, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? See, King says the key here is that we need not be concerned merely with ourselves, but we must learn to be concerned with the plight of others. And of course, that's true. Far be it from me to ever disagree with Dr. King on anything. But I want to I tweak and reverse his first question a little bit. Instead of asking, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? I think we need to ask, if I don't stop and help this man, what will happen to me? See, what this parable does is it invites us to see ourselves in the face of the other. To break down the distinctions between subject and object, between good and bad, friends and enemies. To see ourselves as inextricably bound up with one another, whether we want that to be the case, whether we recognize that's the case. To learn to see the world with a unitive, non-dual awareness. See, the problem with the priest and the Levite is not that they're selfish. The problem is how they understand the self. See, to leave this man on the side of the road, it isn't selfish as much as it is foolish and short-sighted. Because the person on the side of the road isn't separate from you, as you might imagine. They are bound up with you, and you are bound up with them. And so to not help him is to not help yourself. We are not separate, autonomous beings. What happens to one of us affects all of us, friends and enemies alike. And so, remember how I asked at the beginning, what do we think this parable means in one sentence? And we end up with something in the neighborhood of when given the opportunity to help, we should. See, the reason that we think that that's what the parable means is that we're used to seeing ourselves as people who have power and agency to help others. That's how we see ourselves. So if we look at this parable and go, where am I? We go, well, I'm either the priest or I'm the Levite or I can be the Good Samaritan. What we don't do is sit and think about that fourth character, the one who's actually in need of help. We need to see ourselves through that lens as well. What if instead of seeing ourselves as people with power and agency, we learn to see ourselves as those who have real needs? Because if we do that, then we might say the meaning of this parable is, help may come to you from the most unlikely places, even from your enemies. See, at Jesus' table, enemies are welcome. Thank God for that. Otherwise, there'd be no room for us, would there? You see, the enemy isn't somewhere out there in someone else. The enemy is also right here. And Jesus welcomes that part of you, too. Can we learn to do the same things for that part of ourselves? Can we learn to do that with others? See, until we can see ourselves not merely as those in a position to help, but also as those who have needs. 
until we can learn to see the goodness in our enemies and recognize that we ourselves are sometimes the enemy, we'll never understand grace. Mr. Rogers once said, all of us, at some time or other, need help. Whether we're giving or receiving help, each one of us has something valuable to bring to this world. That's one of the things that connects us as neighbors. In our own way, each of us is a giver and a receiver. And that guy knew a thing or two about what it means to be neighbors, didn't he? See, the only way that we can ever offer help without judgment is if we learn to receive help without judgment. Most of us have been trained to think that needing help is somehow shameful. But the truth is we need far more help than we are prepared to admit. Our needs are greater than we know. Our wounds are deeper than we recognize. And Jesus has come near to everyone who is in the ditch. He's become one with us in it. He knows what it's like to be beaten and left for dead. He knows what it means to love his enemies. And he knows how to help us in our need. For it is only the wounded who can truly heal. See, the way to become peaceful, secure, humble people is by understanding that you don't need to justify yourself to God or other people. The gift that you're striving so hard to earn, that's yours already. Your life, it's a gift. One that you neither earned nor created. And so your purpose here is to see yourself in other people. All people. Friends, enemies, the powerful, the needy. And as we do that, to help one another on the way home. That's what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves. You and them, they and you, all of us givers and receivers. Go and do likewise. Let's pray. Gracious God, in your love for us, you became us in all of our duality. You both dress our wounds and have allowed yourself to be wounded. You've called us as friends even when we have acted like enemies. And you welcome the whole of who we are, both the noble and ignoble within us. And you call us to love our neighbors as ourselves by both becoming our neighbor and dwelling within us. Lord, there is no road you have not crossed for our sakes. Grant us the assurance that we don't need to justify ourselves to you, to others. Remind us that we come into this world already loved, welcomed, and blessed. Teach us to live humbly and securely, letting go of that need to be right letting go of the shame that we carry over our wounds, our needs. For in truth, we are wounded and needy people, and you love us exactly as we are. Give us eyes to see as you do, 
that we are inextricably bound together, that our lives are not separate but connected, just as you are not separate, but you are wholly connected to us. As those who are connected to your love, who are bound in love to one another, we offer our prayers, our worries, our concerns to you. We pray for Pete and for Mary Hammer, for Hazel Ginther on her long road of recovery, for Howard Lowry and his upcoming procedure, for healing for Abby, for Lonnie, for Sydney, and for those that we carry with us who need your loving presence whom we offer to you now. Lord, surround us and our loved ones with your love. All these things we pray in the name of your Son who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.